Absolutely. It's my privilege to be here. And uh, what a joy to be here with you tonight. Um, now, I just want to take a minute. Joey, you have, uh, you have seven siblings, right? So I just want to say, I want mom and dad to stand up. I just think we need to give, would you, mom and dad, would you just stand up for, let's give these people a hand. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying that uh, we have four daughters, my wife and I, we have four daughters. And uh, they're all married, so we have four sons-in-laws, and uh, we have nine grandchildren. Personally, I'm hoping for a dozen. So uh, if I can get my kids active, we'll get a dozen grandkids. And uh, it's a privilege to be here. I was a pastor for 35 years in the church, and now we've moved down to Charleston, South Carolina. And as Clint said, we were happened to be moving through Nashville this weekend. And I said, uh, Clint, do you believe in free speech? And he said, yes, of course I believe in free speech. And I said, great, would you let me give one? So... Tonight, I want to give you a free speech. Now, now what I want to talk about is something that God's working on in my heart. And uh, it's out of Philippians chapter 3. So I want to talk about Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And the best way to introduce it is to go right to verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. And just to read that passage with you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. You guys got it up there? Great. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or just follow along on the screen. Further, my brothers and sisters. So Paul, the apostle started this church, and he's talking to this church in Philippi. You can still go to Greece today and see the, the ruins of Philippi, which is really cool. So this is a real thing. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and a safeguard for you. Hopefully, if I can get to it, I'll talk to you about what he, what he means by safeguard, maybe. But look at what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. Go back to there, Kevin. Thanks, man. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, I've had people say to me, Doug, what does it mean that God wants us to have joy? What does that actually mean? Because I've had people who are, you know, just kind of sour, who've been, you know, sucking on lemons their whole life. And they'll say to me something like this. Now, maybe some of you have said it. I've never heard it from you, so don't blame me. Maybe some of you have said something like, I got joy, but it's a deep joy. It's like a deep, deep, deep joy. Like so deep, nobody can see it, right? Is that what he means? Well, look at what he says. It's no trouble for me to write this to you again. So he's talked about this before. So I want to go back to chapter 1, verses 27. And look at what he says. Go ahead, Kev. Thanks. Even if I'm being, this is a previous verse he had spoken. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering and the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am what? Glad. And I rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad. And rejoice with me. So when Paul says rejoice, he's actually saying, I want you to be glad. I want you to, to take delight. I want you as Christ followers, and Clint talked about this, Pastor Clint talked about this tonight, but I want you to find your happiness and to, to be happy people. Now, when I first started teaching and preaching, I didn't understand this concept. And I can remember giving a sermon and saying that you need to be holy and not happy. But then I started reading it a little bit more and started thinking about this concept. And I realized, no, God actually wants you to be happy. Now, that is a dangerous concept. It's dangerous because I've had people come to me and say, Doug, I'm going to go do this thing over here. And I know God doesn't really want me to do that thing, but God wants me to be Happy. But I want you to notice what he says. He says, he says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Look back at verse 1. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. So that may seem like a bizarre concept to some of you. Some of you have got it down maybe. But 
what I want to do is talk to you about how it is that we can find our happiness in Christ. And now there's a lot of things I could say, but what I want to do is I want to focus on a few things that he says in the next few verses, just to give you three words to think about to help us find our happiness in Christ. Because he wants you to be happy in him. Okay, here's my big idea. Big idea for the night. Just kind of an idea that gives you something to think about. Joy is not found in human achievement, but our joy, our happiness, is to be found in a divine experience. It is not to be found in, and it won't be ultimately found in a human achievement, but in our divine experience, or our experience of the divine. Now let me give you three thoughts. First one is based on this word, the word confess. Okay, I'm going to explain that, the word confess. Paul goes on, chapter 3, verse 2 through 4. Look at what he says. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking here about some people who came into the church who are trying to force everyone to be circumcised. We'll kind of go through that. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve Christ by his spirit, who boast in Christ, and who do what? Who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, when he's talking about the flesh there, he's basically talking about this. He's talking about human achievement and pedigree. So, for example, if I got up and said to you, hey, my name is Doug Bullock, and my family, at least parts of my family, came off the boat in 1770, and we fought in every war that this country has ever fought in, we we were on both sides of the Civil War. And I have a degree in this, and I have a degree in this, and I was a pastor for this long. That would be taking confidence in the flesh. Or that would be allowing human pedigree and achievement to make me happy. Now Paul says, Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason to do so. So he begins to talk about that. Go to the next verse. Verse 3, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. That's when Jewish babies were to be circumcised. Of the people of Israel, he was actually born of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he came from the tribe that Saul came from, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, I was as good at keeping the law as anybody. As for zeal, a persecutor of the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says, if anybody has a reason to be proud of what I've done, I do. Look at what he says, though. For whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss because of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. Uh, Pastor Clint may have told you this, or maybe you've heard it before. That word garbage is a word that I've heard pronounced this way as scupula. It's a Greek word. This is going to come in handy. It's a Greek word. It's kind of a curse word in Greek, in Greece, in the Greek language. Kind of a curse word. It would be used sometimes to refer to garbage, the kind of thing you put you know, in the garbage can. Or maybe if you're walking through the pastures of the fields of Tennessee and you happen to see this little round brown thing and you step in it, it's all mushy, and you pull up your foot and you go, oh man, look at all that scoopola. 
Or he might just say this way, he might just say, ah, scopola! And that's what Paul says our human accomplishments are. Compared to knowing Christ, compared to knowing Christ, everything that I achieve is cupola. Now, (laughs) I use this word confess. Pastor Clinton talked last week about the fact that we make things idols, and an idol is anything, he said, an idol is anything that makes us happy in front of Christ. And I know about you, I don't know about you, but I, and I think, do think I know about you, because you're like me. I got a whole bunch of things that are idols for me. And so I just need to confess. Or let me say it differently. I need to live confessionally. Continually confessing, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I just recognize that I, I'm making this thing above you. Now, sometimes it's silly things like, uh, I saw a bunch of people today in Nashville, they were going to a monster truck rally. You know when you're a little kid, that's like the most important thing in the world, a monster truck rally. Sometimes it's little things that are, you know, again, kind of silly. They're like, I got some new shoes. I got a great deal on these shoes. And then you stop and think and say, I'm more excited about my shoes than I am about Christ. You guys ever do that? It's living confessionally. Sometimes it's family. We are so pumped up because we live near literally eight of our nine grandchildren. We live near eight of our nine grandchildren. Three of our daughters live near us. And it's, it's just, it's a great thing. But, you know, I have to live confessionally because uh, family, as great as it is, it, it's not going to come through for me. Like, have you guys ever recognized, maybe you guys don't know this in your family of eight, but do you guys ever have family fights? (laughs) (laughs) Laughing over here in the corner. (laughs) Like when you stop talking to each other. And it's like, man, how did this happen? And as great as family is, sometimes family leaves, gets sick, dies. So we have to live confessionally. Saying, Lord, I just recognize that I'm making this more important. Sometimes it's work. I talked to a friend who worked for 38 years, and he said, Doug, I went to the office after I retired. I went to the office after 38 years. I spent a few hours in the office, and I walked out of the office with 38 years in a milk crate. You know what a milk crate is? And he said most of that was pictures of my daughter. Bonnie Ware is a woman who wrote a book on death and dying. She's a palliative nurse. That means she hangs around people who are dying and tries to keep them out of pain. Then she has conversations with them about how they are handling their dying. And she wrote a book called The Five Things People Regret Most When They Die. Number one, I worked too much. Yeah. My point is simply this. All of us need to live confessionally. And say, Christ, I just make some things that aren't that important, more important than they are. So just forgive me. Because I want you. Okay. Let's go on. Chapter 3. The second thing is the word celebrate. The word celebrate. Now, I'm going to show you what we want to celebrate. Look at what he says. Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I consider, going back to verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Let me just talk about knowing for a minute. 
you know, the word knowing is kind of this elastic word. It can be used to refer to knowing about somebody, or it can be used to refer to knowing somebody intimately. Like before Clint came to the retreat, I knew about him. Now I know Clint better. Hey, we're going to go out to dinner tonight, Stephanie, I, and Laurel, and I. We're going to, oh, my wife back there. I didn't introduce her. Wait, Laurel, did you say something? There we go. There she is back there. Yeah, she's good. 42 years. There you go. Yep. Laura and I are going to go out with Stephanie and Clint afterwards, and it's our desire to get to know them better. Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, knowing him intimately, knowing him better, for whose sake I consider I have lost all things. I consider them all garbage that I might gain. Uh, I got to read it from this up here. Okay. Um, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I have gained Christ. I am found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Let me talk about the word righteousness just for a minute. When we think of somebody who's righteous, we think of somebody who's like super good, right? Somebody who's like morally pure and, and, you know, like, uh, you know, squeaky clean. But the word righteous basically refers to somebody who is right with a particular standard. So, for instance, if I want to be right with the law, I am one who wants to be declared not guilty, but I could be actually guilty. What I mean is this. Let's say I go into a 7-Eleven. You have 7-Elevens around here? Okay, 7-Eleven. I walk into a 7-Eleven. I steal a Coke, put it in my pocket. I walk out. The policeman says, hey, buddy, you got a, you got a stolen Coke in your pocket. He, he takes me in front of the judge. The judge says, did you steal that Coke? I say, yes, I stole that Coke. The judge gets ready to sentence me, but my lawyer stands up and says, Judge, the policeman never read him his Miranda rights. So here I am, I'm totally guilty, but I'm righteous. I am legally not guilty. Does that make sense? Now, I can't control my righteousness with people that I have offended. A few years ago, a friend of mine called me. His name was Gary. And Gary called me and he said, hey, Doug, this is Gary. I said, hey, Gary. And he said, do you remember what I did 30 years ago? And I knew exactly what he was talking about. Because 30 years previous, we had been in one of those church meetings. And he had stood up and he said some things about me. And we weren't right. And he said, Doug, I recognize what I said about you, and I want to apologize and tell you I'm sorry for what I said about you. Would you forgive me? Now, if he, or I, if he and I are going to get right, who does it depend upon? Me, right? I've got to forgive if we're going to be right. He can't control it. I went to, high school, I went to college and met a friend by, by the name of Fred, and... Um, when we were in college, Fred was my friend, but I did something that betrayed him. I did something that kind of betrayed our friendship. It had to do with a girl, not surprisingly. I did something with a girl, kind of betrayed my friendship with Fred. I started thinking about this like 30 years later. And so I typed a little email to my friend Fred and said, Hey, Fred, I, I want to talk to you on the phone about blank. You see, I want to get right with Fred. And he never responded. You see, to get right with Fred, 
Fred's got to let me get right with him. Make sense? We have this relationship with Christ in which we have been declared right with God. What Christ has done as he has made us so that God no longer has anything against us, so that we are forgiven. This is the original cancel culture. He canceled the penalty surrounding your sin. Now look how it happened. A righteousness through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes by God on the basis of faith. <laughs> Can you guys tell them from New York? Yeah. I've had people in South Carolina say, you're from New York, aren't you? Hey, in my opinion, I'm from central New York, and we just speak plain English there. I got no accent. <laughs> but while I was down in Mount Pleasant and uh, turning some furniture in and um, to this restore place, this Salvation Army place, and this guy came up and he said, man, I like those shelves. And he and I started talking, and I could tell he's from New York. He had one of those accents, you know, really thick, New York. And I said, what'd you guys do? You know, what'd you guys come down to Mount Pleasant for? He says, well, our family was out west, and we were traveling all around trying to find the best place to live. Obviously, they never came to Hendersonville, but they said, we're trying to find the best place in the world to live. And we settled on Mount Pleasant, Charleston. And then the wife said to me, we just came here by faith. And when she said that, I thought to myself, you know, when you're in the South, you didn't do this in New York. But when you're in Charleston, when you meet somebody new, you do what? Invite them to church. Amen. And, so, yeah. and so I said, hey, I go to this church called Seacoast if you guys want to come. And she gave me this really skanky, eye-rolling New York look. And what I wish I said to her was this. You said you came here by faith, but faith in whom? Because that makes all the difference. We have been made right with God, it says in chapter 3, through faith in Christ, the one who died for you. Now, some of you know this real well, but maybe I want you to think about it this way. Christ shows up, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then he looks at Martha, to whom he's talking, and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, Jesus is making a promise. He wants to give you life. He is the one who has the capacity to give out life. And he wants to give you eternal life and a right relationship with God. Do you believe him? Do you have faith in his word, in him? You can believe him tonight. Now, I chose the word celebrate. If you have already believed him, or if you believe him tonight. In order to find joy in Christ, this needs to become a constant celebration. 
At the retreat, a guy shows up who's a pastor from Joel Olstein's church. You guys know who Joel Olstein is? Smile. Can you do it? You got Joel. Everybody's got a Joel Olstein invitation, right? Well, this pastor says, this pastor says, I struggle with depression. And maybe some of you do here tonight. I mean, I get that. And then he says this. He says, I have to get up every day and fight for joy. I have to fight. And I'm thinking, you're Joel Osteen's guy. You got to fight for joy. And if you got to fight for joy, it begins by getting up in the morning and celebrating who you are in Christ. That you have gained him and he has gained you and you are right with God and you are eternally secure and you're going to spend your eternity in the presence of God and it is all good. But you got to celebrate it. All the time. All right, I'm going to give you one more word. It's the word condone. Chapter 3, verse, I think it's verse 10. Let's start in verse 10. Yeah. Paul goes on, he says, I want to know Christ, and look at what he says. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I'm sorry, i got to turn and look at it this way. Uh, participation in his sufferings. Somehow being conformed to him in his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, give me five minutes, I want to think about that last phrase. See that last phrase, attaining to the resurrection from the dead? A lot of times people read this and they think Paul's talking about the fact that one day he might raise from the dead, like physically die and raise from the dead. That that's what he's talking about. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. And the reason I don't, it's because of that little word, somehow. Because he's just told us how. It's through faith in Christ. And that little word, attaining, that, that's a word that means he's working for something. And so what's going on in this little passage? Well, I want you to notice that Paul mentions four things. The power of his resurrection. Well, that's a spiritual thing. Paul's not saying, I want you to actually experience the, you know, the lightning bolt that raised Christ. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to spiritually experience spiritual power. And then he says, I want you to participate in his sufferings. He's not saying that you're going to actually lie down on the cross with Christ. He's saying that you're going to suffer, though, spiritually. Maybe physically, but it's a spiritual thing. And then he says, I want you to become conformed to him in his death. He's not saying that you're going to go into the ground. But he's saying in some way you must die. Paul is talking about, I want you to know Christ and to experience his resurrection power. But in order to do that, you are going to suffer and die. Now, that doesn't sound very exciting, but let me explain it a little bit. It's, it's a chiasm, or a chiasm. Uh, let me get the next slide there. Remember, a chiasm, a chiasm is a literature, de- uh, it's, a, it's a literary device uh, that, that goes like A, B, 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 A. Like if I said, don't let a fool kiss you or a kiss fool you, well, that's a chiasm, right? Or if your spouse says, do you, do you love me because I'm beautiful or am I beautiful because you love me? You know, A, B, B, A, okay? So let's put the verse up there on that. I want to know Christ, and this is how I know Christ. I experience his power, but I must participate in his sufferings, and I must conform to his death, and then I can experience his power. Let me say it this way. 
Every time you are called to follow Christ, you engage in some suffering and something has to die. And through that, you can experience Christ. Does that make sense? Every time you follow Christ, you experience some suffering and something has to die. And when that thing dies, you experience Christ. Let me give you a a real broad example. I'm 10 years old, and my father's plane has just gone down. My father was a pilot. There were 35 people on a commercial jet. They took off. The plane was on fire when they took off. He got up in the middle of the air uh, about about 15 minutes into the flight. He lost total control of the plane, and he and 35 people went down into the mountains of Pennsylvania and were killed. I'm walking through the little town in which I grew up after my dad had died, and I'm talking to God about the fact that I've just lost my father. I'm suffering. In the midst of my suffering, it occurs to me that I can't spend my whole life being mad at the God who died for me, who sent Christ for me. I can't spend my whole life being mad at him. And in order for me to deal with my suffering, I had to die my desire to control my life and to get what I wanted, specifically my desire to have a father had to die. And when I let that desire die, I opened myself up to not being bitter for the rest of my life and to knowing Christ, to knowing Christ. When you choose to serve You suffer. What I mean by that is you give up doing something that you might want to do otherwise. And in your suffering, something has to die. You have to say, okay, Christ, I'm not going to do what I want to do with my time all the time. I'm going to die to self and serve. And when you do that, in some way, you experience Christ. God does something. When you give, you're taking your money and saying, I'm going to give up my money and your desire to spend your money your way has to die. But that's how you experience Christ. When you forgive, man, you've suffered because somebody's hurt you. But instead of getting revenge... Instead of hurting them back, you have to die to your desire to be proven right or to get revenge. And when you die to that, you experience Christ. So I just put the word conform down. If you and I want to experience Christ, it comes in three ways. One, we want to confess We want to confess that we make things idols that aren't important, ultimately. And number two, we want to celebrate. We want to be people who just celebrate what God has done. And number three, we want to conform our life and be willing to allow things to die so that we can experience Christ. Because knowing Christ... I mean, it is the greatest source of happiness that you will ever discover. 
Hey, let's just close our eyes for a minute, and um, I just want to talk with you for a minute. Ben's going to come up, and Joey's going to come up and play just for a minute, and I just, I just want to challenge you just for a minute. Maybe there's something you need to do with this. Maybe there's some way you need to respond. Maybe tonight, uh, some of you just need, to, just need to confess that there are things in your life that are actually just kind of idols. And I just, I just want to challenge you just to be honest and say, Lord, I'm making this person, this relationship, this child, this boyfriend, this girlfriend, this job, money. I'm making it an idol. And I just want to confess that. Maybe some of you just need to decide to celebrate. That every day you're going to get up and you're going to say, I'm going to celebrate what Christ has done because because I take him for granted and I take my relationship with Christ for granted. And I just want to find my joy in getting happy by celebrating. Maybe some of you need to trust him for the very first time. Talk to Pastor Clint. Pastor Stephanie, talk to me. Talk to somebody who brought you. Maybe for the very first time, you want to say, I want to know more about that Christ. And maybe some of you just need to conform tonight. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just, you just don't want it to be happening. And you just, you're just fighting God because this thing won't go away. And maybe God's just asking you to let go of control and to stop trying to be right and to stop trying to be financially secure in the way you want to be financially secure and just conform to the death of Christ just for a moment while it's quiet I don't know what God calling you to do thank you that you're a good God and you love us and you in spite of our theories you want us to find life in you so help us to find our happiness grounded in you in Christ's name